This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler's Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, while the legal profession is often described as a dog-eat-dog business, it seems that the actual practice of animal law involves a lot more than dogs. Animal law is a growing field with pet food contamination, animal cruelty, and the right to use a service animal, providing attorneys in this arena with a wide array of legal issues. People certainly love their pets and will do anything necessary to protect their legal rights. So with that as a backdrop, our guest today is attorney Randy Turner of Fort Worth, Texas. Randy's a volunteer attorney with the Animal Legal Defense Fund. Most notably, Randy represented the dog owners in the Texas Supreme Court case Strickland v. Medland, where he argued that pet owners should be allowed to recover the sentimental value of companion animals that are wrongfully killed rather than just their market value. Randy has worked as a volunteer on wildlife conservation projects literally around the world. So with that, welcome to the show, Randy. Great to have you on the, on the Ringler Radio Show. Good to be here, Larry. Terrific. Well, Randy, why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice and how you got involved in animal law and fighting for the rights of animals uh, in the first place. Okay, well, I've, I've always been an animal lover. And of course, as a kid, I had dogs and cats and hamsters. And then I went to law school, and when I got my license, I moved to Fort Worth and hung out my shingle. I went down to the local Humane Society and volunteered to do whatever they needed, clean cages, walk dogs, whatever. But when they found out I was an attorney, they put me on their board of directors <laughs> as, as if I, as a 26-year-old baby lawyer, had a clue how to oversee a nonprofit organization. And, of course, Humane Society gets lots of calls from the public asking about animal cruelty, ownership, etc., and... Um, I hadn't, law schools didn't teach animal law when I was in law school, so I sort of had to teach myself. And uh, so I became self-taught. It's a, it was pretty daunting because it's, it encompasses so many areas. I mean, criminal law, contract, property, health, veterinary malpractice, probate, I mean, on and on. And so word spread that, you know, here was this guy on the board of directors, and, and I don't know, I, I soon became the, the go-to animal lawyer for animal rights activists or, or people needing an animal lawyer. So that, I guess that's how it started. That's tremendous. Tremendous, tremendous way to start. You know, you get thrown right into the mix and, uh, you kind of raise your hand. I, I, I know when I, you're the lawyer, you're going to, you're going to be in charge right. of all of that. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Well, you know, today we, we see a lot of different legal cases arising around pets and animals. So you see, uh, contaminated dog food cases, you have animal cruelty. What are some of the common legal issues facing animals, uh, you know, the pets and, and their owners uh, today? Well, by far the most common legal issue is what damages can be recovered when an animal is killed or destroyed. In most states, including Texas, animals are property. And when property is destroyed by a tort feeser, 
the owner can only recover the market value of the property. So if a veterinarian negligently kills an animal by committing malpractice, his liability is limited to the market value of the animal. And, uh, and in most states, attorney's fees can't be recovered. So um, in practice, that means unless the animal is a prize-winning show dog or an expensive racehorse, no lawyer is going to take the case on a contingency. And it's not economical to pay a lawyer thousands of dollars in hourly fees to get a judgment against you know, somebody for the market value of their eight-year-old mixed-breed mutt. Right, um, right. So with with that, that whole issue of market value being the, the limitation, you actually represented dog owners in a Texas Supreme Court case that tried to broaden that, right? Strickland versus Medlin. Tell us about yeah, that. I did. Tell us about that case. Give us a little bit of a synopsis and uh, and what was the final outcome and how did it change the way uh, the law is applied? Well, in the end, I wish I'd never taken that case to the Supreme Court because the law was settled very strongly against my position, but... The Medlins had a family dog named Avery. He was a eight-year-old mutt that they'd rescued. He was a member of the family. He slept on the beds. He went on camping trips. He even had his own Christmas stocking. He escaped from the backyard during a thunderstorm uh, once, and uh, and the, the Medlins searched all over for him. And, and a couple days later, they found him at the local city animal shelter. They wouldn't release Avery until he was microchipped, but this was on a Saturday, and the vet who does the microchipping didn't come in until Monday, so they said, well, come back Monday, and you can get Avery then. So as you can guess, on Monday, the whole family went to the shelter to get Avery, Uh, the husband and wife, the two little six- and eight-year-old kids. They'd put up a welcome home Avery banner at their house, and they bought hamburger so he could have a special meal. When they got there, they were told, oh, gosh, we're sorry, we we killed Avery yesterday. And uh, even though there was a sign on the cage that said, hold for owner, he was mistakenly killed. And, you know, the family was devastated. But this, this, they didn't want, the city had offered them a few hundred dollars, but they didn't want money. They wanted to see if they could change the loss, change things so this didn't happen again. I had been looking for a case to take up on appeal um, to to clarify what damages are recoverable when a, when an animal is killed. In 1891, the Supreme Court said when an animal is killed, all you all you get is market value of the animal. Mm-hmm. Well, since then, in 1963, the Texas Supreme Court came out with a sentimental value rule that said if an animal is killed that doesn't have a market value, but it, excuse me, if property is destroyed that doesn't have a market value, but it has sentimental value, then the property owner can recover sentimental value of the property, like an old wedding album or your grandfather's, you know, old boots. And so I thought that, well, there's no reason why we shouldn't apply that sentimental value rule um, that applies to property to, to the property that's the most sentimental that we have, and that's animals. And I, and and so I would have, I wanted to argue for mental anguish damages, but Texas is very conservative. And in Texas, you can't get mental anguish damages even when, like, a brother or sister is killed. Um, so I, I thought, well, but we are a very strong property rights state. So my strategy was this is a property rights issue. It's not an animal rights or a torts issue. Um, I discouraged all of the humane societies around the country from filing amicus briefs. 
But I got the property law professors at most of the Texas law schools to file amicus briefs. And we won in the appellate court. Um, The court ruled, well, there's no reason why the sentimental value rule that applies to all property should not apply to our pets. Now, the other side appealed to the Supreme Court, and I have to say, the Supreme Court was inundated by amicus briefs from pet product manufacturers, veterinary associations, cities, all claiming that the sky was falling and this was going to be the end of pet ownership in Texas if this if this decision stood, you know, stood. Well, um, as a side note, I was told the Supreme Court got more phone calls, letters, and emails from the public on this case than any case in its history. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court reversed the decision that we'd gotten in the Court of Appeals, and they carved out an exception to the sentimental value rule. And they said that, yeah, the sentimental value rule applies to all property except pets. And and, and, and the court even acknowledged the absurdity of this in their opinion when they noted that, yes, under Texas law, a person can recover the sentimental value of a photograph of a pet that's destroyed, <laughs> yeah, but, but not, not the when itself. the actual, yeah. Amazing. And it was, I mean, it was just disingenuous. I well, think. and it was uh, obviously a devastating uh, final result there, but you gave it a good shot. You gave it a good fight, and that's all you can ask for these days. Uh, yeah. You know, you you know, not many people stick up for animals' rights like uh, like you have, and so uh, you know, obviously, it's it's not an easy battle for you to you to have when you face a lot of those corporate interests. But you know what? We're going to take a quick break right now. We're going to be back right in a minute, right here on Ringler Radio. We'll be right back. Bye-bye. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm joined here by my special guest, Attorney Randy Turner of Fort Worth, Texas. And, of course, we're talking about animal rights. Randy, you frequently testify in the Texas legislature on bills pertaining to animal welfare. Is there any new legislation uh, in Texas going on right now you'd like to mention? Anything you're, you're trying to push? Yeah, well, our, our legislature just, uh, just finished. Um, they even finished their special session on the bathroom bill. But, um, yeah, we didn't have a real good... It wasn't a real good session for us. Um, we we did get a bill passed in the legislature that increased punishments for animal cruelty and dog fighting. Unfortunately, we lost a bill that would have regulated tethering of 
dogs, which is a horrible problem in Texas. We we have animals that spend their entire lives tethered outside 24-7 on a three-foot chain or a rope, and, and it, they live their whole lives like that. Um, and, and so far, we've been able to defeat all the efforts to enact ag-gag laws in Texas. I don't know if you know about those are laws. What, what are ag-gag? Yeah, those are laws that make it a crime to secretly photograph or video record animal cruelty in a livestock facility. And and um, about half the states have tried to pass these laws. Um, about seven states have passed them, and uh, but one was struck down by a federal court. So so far, knock on wood, they they the uh, livestock industry has not been able to pass uh, an ag gag law in Texas. Oh, I see. So to prevent people from coming in and looking at some of these factory farms and what's going on. Right. Yeah, I got right. you. Well, you know, your firm also works on claims involving service animals, service dogs, et cetera, that you see sometimes getting on airplanes and other places, uh, more maybe having to do with the American with Disabilities Act. Tell us about that area. It seems to be, uh, I, I, I'm not sure whether or not our audience knows that there are real issues with people being allowed to use service dogs in certain places. Are there some prohibitions, some restrictions? Oh yeah, I mean this is a huge hot area, and part of the problem is that is that there are several federal and state statutes that govern people with disabilities who have service animals that that help them. Um, it, it's really complex, and I could spend two hours talking about it. But essentially, you've got the ADA Americans with Disabilities Act. That's a federal law that requires all establishments that are open to the public—banks, restaurants, office buildings. You know, everything. It requires them to allow disabled people to bring their service animal into the facility. And and that is often violated. Um, we also have the, the United States Fair Housing Act, which requires all apartments, homeowners associations, etc., to allow people who are disabled to bring their emotional support animals into into the dwelling, and these they're 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 different because a, a service animal under the ADA has to be specially trained to perform a particular task for the disabled person, mm-hmm. and it can only be a dog or a miniature horse. In the Fair Housing Act, it can be any kind of animal, and it doesn't have to be specially trained. It can be there just to provide emotional support for somebody who's got a psychiatric disability. Then we also have the Air Carrier Access Act, which regulates airlines and requires them to allow people to bring their emotional support animals onto an airplane. There are tons of rules and regulations covering those three things, but in a nutshell, that's kind of what we're looking at. But it's it's amazing how many people abuse those laws um, and don't allow people with I get calls all the time from people that they've been denied access to a restaurant. Yeah. I just finished up a case the other day where a, a local a state university would not allow her to bring her service animal into the classroom. And um, it, it's a huge problem. It's a lot bigger problem than, than you would think. Well, you know, it's interesting you raise all this. And, uh, you know, I'm assuming a lot of people listening are pet owners. Uh, so if a pet owner discovers that their pet has been injured, either through, you know, bad food or, or, or through some other cruelty or, or being denied, you know, a service dog's uh, ability to enter a certain facility, 
What are the, some of the steps that those individuals should take to uh, redress their grievances? What, what do they do? Well, I mean, the, the first thing to do is, is go talk to a lawyer. If you've been denied access to an airplane or a building or someplace and there's a violation of the ADA, you can, well, you can talk to a lawyer and he can tell you which regulatory agent to, agency to file a complaint with, whether it's the attorney general or the, or the uh, Equal Opportunity uh, Commission. Well, I assume, yeah. I assume, Randy, that that they would uh, uh, first, let's say, talk to the airline. Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they address the airline or the restaurant or the place that denied access or along oh. those lines to see if they can get some 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 fixing of that issue? And then, if they get yeah. a, a negative response, they would go to a lawyer to maybe get something uh, done. Is that right? Yeah, I guess I, I should have mentioned that. I mean, I, certainly that would be my first recommendation is talk to the airline and tell them, hey, we, we have the Air Carrier Access Act or talk to the, talk to the dormitory at the university and say, we have the Fair Housing Act and, and you're, you're violating it. And, you know, try to settle it that way. Try to, try to work it out with them. Um, but if that doesn't work, then a lawyer could give you some guidance on who you can report your complaint to. Interestingly, in most of these laws, you're not entitled to recover any kind of damages. Um, for example, under the ADA, you can't you can't recover uh, you can't recover damages. You can you can recover attorney's fees, um, and and but and you can get an injunction ordering the place to to allow you to bring your service animal in there, but but no no damages. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of, it's kind of like the individuals might suffer uh, and maybe get their attorney fees back, but the real issue is preventing other people from being harmed in the future by this by this act, having the uh, the restaurant or the air carrier change their their way of doing business. Well, right. Randy, one of the most fascinating things about you is that you walk the walk and talk the talk. You volunteered in Borneo and uh, in Indonesia. Uh, Kenya and Zimbabwe uh, for all kinds of animal projects uh, when you were over there. Tell us a little bit about that experience and uh, how that how that impacts your ability to uh, be a lawyer in this arena right now. Um, <clears throat> well, that's been a lot of fun, and there there are sort of sort of three aspects to my practice. I, I represent people who help animals, who advocate for animals, like animal rights activists who get arrested for <laughs> protesting the circus or the sale of fur. I, I represent actually um, rescue groups and humane societies. But then the third group I, res I represent is uh, wildlife rehabilitation and, and rescue groups. That's a whole different set of issues. And my, my experience working with, with orangutans and black rhinos in Africa I really uh, helped me appreciate and understand the challenges that are faced by wildlife organizations that are way different than those that, that humane societies with their dogs and cats deal with. So it's helped me a lot. It's helped me a lot in, in that regard. Do you also deal in, in those arenas uh, overseas uh, with, with the big game hunters? Is that uh, part of that practice? You know, I, I, I've not had any experience with big game hunters. Of course, I'm I'm obviously opposed to that. Um, the um, we we're constantly battling the the hunters in Texas. Um, big game hunters. That's more on a federal level, and that's you know import Endangered Species Act and the Convention on International Trade in Endangered Species. 
in in most states, what I deal with more are animals that hunting groups try to pass to to basically thwart animal rights activists. I mean, we for example, we've got a hunter harassment act in Texas that makes it a crime to go out and and make noise or or otherwise disturb uh, hunters who are trying to hunt. That that's more the involvement that I have. Well, you hunting. know, you know, Randy. Uh... You know, Randy, what you've discussed today, what you've described, uh, really opens a lot of people's eyes, I think, to what's out there in the whole arena of practicing law in the in the animal kingdom. I mean, there, there are so many things that are dealing with animals that most people probably don't think about, and, and you're now addressing them. Do you see this whole area growing? Oh, it's absolutely growing. When I was in law school, there wasn't a single school in Texas, and probably only one or two in the whole country, that taught animal law. Now in Texas, I think all of the all all of the law schools, except maybe one, and I think we have like eight or nine, all of them teach animal law now. And 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 the value that people place on their animals is abs- it's it's huge. It, um, veterinary care, pet, the pet industry is a billion dollar industry. And and I'm getting more and more calls all over the country from people who, you know, their animal they their animals have been injured or killed, and and they want they want to seek some kind of redress. Legislatures are, I mean, in in all fifty states are passing more and more and more laws protecting animals, setting minimum standards for animal shelters, um, defining animal cruelty. I mean, it, it's definitely a booming area now. Unless you represent, you know, racehorse people, there's really not much money in animal law. In fact, 90% of what I do is pro bono. Um, you know, most of my animal rights activists, for example, I mean, you know, I, they range from a, a purple-haired person, college student with a nose ring that has no money my, to a my brother in That's my brother-in-law. Go ahead. <laughs> or a CPA. I represented a cardiologist who was arrested for protesting the circus. When, when my clients can pay, I, I charge a fee. But when they can't pay, I just do it pro bono. So what I tell law students, these animal cases are fascinating. And, and I get calls. I mean, I'm, I'm on TV several times a year because of some animal case I'm doing. I mean, the media is... The media is yeah, they love, they love those stories. No, no question oh, they about love that. Them. No and, question about it. So what I tell law students is if, if you want to make money, um, do go into something else. If you want to be on TV or in the newspaper or on radio, go into animal law. <laughs> <laughs> well, there so, you go. There you go. That's the incentive for it. Well, right, Randy, right, right. Randy, I tell you, it's been fascinating to hear all this about uh, an area of law that I think a lot of people really haven't concentrated on, and uh, it's good to bring it to everyone's attention. Uh, I think there are some real key issues you've raised. So if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, Randy, how would they do that? Well, probably go to uh, my website, randyturner.com. has my phone number and email and all that. That's terrific. And uh, if any of you out there want to get a hold of any of the Ringler Associates to handle structured settlements and to help uh, resolve litigation in cases that you might have, you can go to Ringler's website, ringlerassociates.com, and find any of the associates around the country. You can also listen to all the Ringler radio shows, which are also on ringlerassociates.com. So also you can find the shows on ringlerradio.com, legaltalknetwork.com, or on iTunes where you can go and uh, download those shows at your leisure and listen to uh, 
about any subject you'd like to. We've uh, done really hundreds and hundreds of these shows. And uh, if you're interested in animal law, you can listen to Randy just like you did you did today. Well, with that, Randy, I want to thank you again for being our great guest. Well, it was my pleasure, Larry. I enjoyed it. Thank uh, you. Thank you. And uh, for all the rest of you out there, go get yourself a pet and go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.